So you came up with this fabo idea, you wrote it down on a napkin. You went and got a business card, you got a website, and you've got your Instagram account all set up. You're now a business owner. You're ready to welcome clients. But are you? Is your business name legal? Do you have the right to use the photos and content on your website? Or did you have all your forms filled out? That's the scary side of running a business, understanding if you are legally able to do so. We're talking about small business legal issues. And today's guest is going to rock your world and change your views on what it's like and the accessibility to have small business legal help. She's an entrepreneur first, turned into a lawyer. And let me tell you, she's going to show you and educate you on what it's like to make sure your business is running legal. So that's what we're talking about today. After this break, come back. I can't not wait to introduce you to Andrea. conversations with wedding professionals as they share their stories, insights, and tips from inside the wedding industry. We'll chat about how to be authentic and that it's okay not to be perfect or run your business like someone else's Instagram. Let's dive into the privilege it is to serve our clients and discover the talented creatives that make up our community. When we share what we know and who we are, we better serve our couples as a wedding day team, as well as each other. Simply put, be Fabo. Now here's your host, Bobby Brinkman. Welcome back, podcast listeners. As I mentioned the topic, we are talking about legal, legal things in owning a business, especially a small business, and how to protect our small business and all our hard work. And today's guest, Andrea Sager, is a small business attorney shaking up the legal industry with her legal membership that provides all access to her firm for small businesses, which also provides a guaranteed 24-hour response rate. After less than a year at a large law firm working with large businesses, she realized her true passion was helping small businesses embrace and protect their businesses and intellectual property. Almost two years having her own firm, she has become the go-to attorney for entrepreneurs protecting everything from their brand names to their courses and their blog posts. And as she says loud and proud on her website, dream it, grow it, protect it. And that's what we're going to talk about today as we dive in and hear all about protecting our business. She has got some amazing tips from copyrights to trademarks. And I want you guys to stick around to the end of the show because you're going to go to the show notes and you're going to want to sign up for many, many of her little classes, her tips. She has all kinds of things that are going to be beneficial to you that do not cost you a thing. She's willing to help you share her information with these tips. But I'm going to encourage you to sign up for her glossary that you can get and her legal entrepreneur um, membership that she has. So everybody, please welcome Andrea to the show. Welcome back in today's topic. When I started this podcast uh, earlier this year, one of the things that everybody kept writing in was, give us some legal information, give us some money information, give us something that isn't what it's like to actually be in the wedding industry. And I agree wholeheartedly. So listeners, today I am thrilled. Um, just perusing Instagram like a lot of you guys do and putting some feelers out there, I have got a guest that you're all going to love. Not only that, but she's a woman SEO, CEO, and all that stuff. And, and that was one of the things that was important to you. You all want to hear from a woman who is doing some legal ease and some legal mind stuff. So today we have Andrea. And Andrea is all about helping 
small businesses. She's got this amazing, amazing website. Don't worry about keeping notes, everybody. We're going to click back to the uh, in show notes. Tina will have everything back. But she has got this legal website that is all about a virtual website, virtual legal website. And she's going to help. One of the things you're going to love about her is dream it, grow it, protect it. She's going to chat with us today about that. And we're going to link again. We'll link back to all her websites, all the information, and all her uh, Instagram so you guys can start following her. She gives tips every single day. I have so many notes for her. You guys have wrote some questions. So after that long introduction, thank you so much, Andrea, for joining us today on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited about this. And we were chatting off. You just got back from a big podcast seminar. And uh, so she's, she's current, everybody, and she stays up on everything. And I think that was one of the things that really draw me, drew me to you is that you don't just talk about one thing ad nauseum. You really do come on your Instagram and talk about a bunch of different things. So for our listeners, maybe um, just let them know a little bit about how this came about, how you decided to have this virtual log, law, tog, however you want to call that, and, and process, and how you just came about it, a little bit about your story. Thanks. Yeah. So I originally had another small business and it was a clothing boutique. Well, with that clothing boutique, I actually opened it during law school and it grew really fast. I actually ended up opening a brick and mortar store. But once I graduated from law school, I started working at a big law firm, which I thought, oh, big law firm, big money. I'm set for life. This is great. Well, I quickly found out that it was not great and I wanted out as quickly as possible. But I ended up lasting there for about seven months. And when I, while I was there, I had other clothing boutique owners reach out to me wanting help protecting their businesses. They wanted trademark work, copyright work. And most of the time, the rates were just too high. But a couple of times I did have clients who were like, you know what? It doesn't matter. I don't care what the price is. I just need this stuff done. So I was trying to onboard them as a client and the firm point blank just told me, no, we don't want small businesses as clients. And these weren't like, you know, somebody just sitting at home who started their business yesterday. Like they had been in business year for years, making multiple six figures and they just did not want them as clients. And I felt awful because I had already told them, yeah, like, you know, you're paying the race. It doesn't matter. You know, we'll take you as a client. But then I was just like, you know what? There's this whole other market there that is not getting the legal help that they need. And I, once I left that firm, I knew that's who I wanted to help. So luckily I started my firm and immediately had business, which does not always happen, but I knew that the need was there because I had encountered many small business owners who needed help, but couldn't, number one, either couldn't find something affordable or number two, they just didn't know where to look for help and they didn't know exactly how to find an attorney that they trusted. So luckily I was able to have that trust because I had a previous business. I'm not just, you know, a lawyer first. I'm a business person first. So that's where I feel like I really connect with people and my clients because they like to know, oh, she's not just a lawyer who's, you know, just going to do the law thing. Like I really help my clients grow their business, build their business. And it's, it's been working out really well. I moved from, I'm the firm that I worked at was in Cincinnati, Ohio. 
and I'm from Houston, Texas, and my husband and I wanted to move to be closer to my parents because we had one, we had a little boy and good thing we moved back to Houston because once we got here, we found out we were pregnant with the little girl. So it was nice. It's definitely nice being close to family, but the thing is like I can, I work from home. So my clients know they're not paying for some fancy office. They're literally paying for me to work at home with my dog. And it's, it's awesome. I don't, I don't need an office because everything I do is federal law and I don't even actually have very many local clients. So I can serve clients nationwide and I love it. I absolutely love what I'm doing. There was that those seven months where I was at that big law firm, I was miserable. I, I was miserable. It was not a good time in my life, but now that I've been able to serve small businesses and that's what I am truly passionate about, like things have been absolutely amazing. Well, and I think, don't you think like you said in there that a lot of small business owners, they create a business because they needed something or there was something that was missing that they couldn't find. So they created it. So a lot of us, and you know, even though this is a wedding podcast, I think this, this is going to spread out pretty far as a lot of us have side hustles, but you know, you start something, you're like, Oh my gosh, I just got the idea. And then all the legal stuff falls through. And I think your key point was that you're a self-proclaimed serial entrepreneur, meaning you know what it's like to come up with an idea, scribble it down and then just bring it to fruition. But now you can add that legal side to protect us. And your passion is all about the brand. So a lot of us in the wedding industry, you know, don't always understand that the brand is more than the name or we don't need trademarks. We need copyrights. And one of your specialties is that you really want to help the brand part. So when you decided to go virtual with this, I mean, you definitely are setting, you know, the industry on fire. There's not. I can't think of somebody else that's doing to the extent of what you're doing because you're virtual. People can just write into you and talk to you a little bit and get that information. The way that you set it up and everybody, she's got what, what she's called a legal entrepreneur membership. And that's a way that no matter if you have one question or 10 questions, you can kind of join and help. So we're going to take this to, I'm a brand new business and I just started and I can be anywhere in the U S I can reach out to you and you can start me from here and guide me. So maybe tell the listeners why one of the first phone calls they need to make is to a lawyer like you. Yeah. Thanks for mentioning that. I completely forgot to mention that. So the legalpreneur is basically our program where we can provide all access to our clients. And this actually came about because we had clients who came to us for trademark work and the trademark process takes quite a while, but during that time they were asking other legal questions and I'm not, I don't bill hourly like most attorneys. So most attorneys, anytime they're on the phone with you, if they're reading your emails, they're charging you hourly rates at least two fifty, three fifty, And I just, quite frankly, I'm too lazy to keep up with my time uh-huh. and how, like, I don't want to bill somebody five minutes for responding to an email. I just think that's ridiculous. But at the same time, just responding to those little emails, it adds up. So I found a win-win situation, which is the legalpreneur membership. And that provides all access. And that honestly works. The people that take advantage of it the most are new businesses. Because when you're starting a new business, you have a million questions. Like, should I be an LLC? Should I be a sole proprietor? What about business insurance? What about 
these terms of service, privacy policy, all the questions that you have when you're a new business, that is all covered under our legalpreneur. And that it's been so beneficial to especially new businesses, no matter what stage you're in, it's great because you always have somebody in your back pocket that you can reach out to. But new businesses I have found actually use it the most. And that, and you mentioned earlier that you did a lot of federal law. So everything that you're doing is required by a federal law. And then we break it down into states. So before we get too far deep into some of the questions that, that listeners came into is you're helping the federal, which everybody needs in a business. And then you're allowed, you're able to break it down per state by simply going to online state forms and things like that. So that business will be legal in the state that they're operating in as well as federally. Correct. Yeah. So we, and we also work with different attorneys in different states. So if it happens to be that there is a state specific matter where, you know, if we're only licensed in these certain states and, you know, the client needs something in a different state, we have attorneys in other states that help us out and that's all included in the membership we don't we actually don't charge extra for that so again listeners if you're just starting or you want to branch out and go this is uh, when i started reading about this i just thought it was amazing i thought man 40 years ago if i would have something like this i would have saved myself a lot of money but i think i didn't mind the money i gave to my lawyer but like she said i don't think that we get that one-on-one or I don't know that I'm the best fit for you or you're the best fit for me because they don't really have that same interest I do where an entrepreneur I think definitely comes into play. So now that we've got a hold of you and we're talking to you and we're starting, why is it so important that a business at any level has some legal things in place and maybe you can list, you know, the top three things that you think every business should have before they put the open sign on. So you Absolutely. My number one tip is to be a limited liability company, which is an LLC. And a lot of people, if you go to any Facebook group and you ask the question, oh, should I be a sole proprietor or an LLC? You will get a million different answers from a million different people. And guess which what? Is, we got seven questions <laughs> on that alone. And so I told you before we started that we got seven questions on that. And, and I know that can be an entire episode. And again, this is why you guys want to go follow her. But Again, so listeners, catch this brief, briefly from her, LLC is where she's saying you need to go. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, it's because and most of the time people tell, like in the, if you ask it on a Facebook group, most of the time people say, oh, just wait till you're making money, just wait until this or that. Well, guess what? You don't know what's going to happen to your business. You don't know what you're going to get in trouble for. I mean, hopefully you don't get in trouble for anything, but you never know what's going to happen. And if you are a sole proprietor at the same, you know, when something big happens and somebody can sue you for it, and then you file for an LLC, the LLC is not retroactive. So if something happened when you're a sole proprietor and you get sued for it, you can't then file for an LLC. So, and, and get that protection. So the LLC provides the protection that you need in order to keep your personal assets separate from your business assets. So if you're driving, you know, maybe you start killing it in your business and you're driving down the highway, you get in a car accident. Well, if you're a sole proprietor, that person can sue you as an individual. And if you don't have the money to pay that person, they can then come after your business assets. 
and same goes for if you get sued in your business if you're not a if you're not an llc if you do something in your business that gets you sued they can come after your personal assets if you do not have an llc so it's literally just even if you DIY, it's just your state's filing fee to get the LLC protection. And you, you do have to make sure that you're abiding by the requirements to maintain the LLC, but it, it's not hard to do, but you need that LLC protection to make sure your business and personal assets are separate. And a lot of times it sounds weird because people think, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm the sole owner. I don't understand why I need the LLC. Trust me there are, it's two completely separate things, you as an individual and your business. And you need to keep the two assets separate. See, there you go, guys. So all those Facebook groups, this is why you can just go here and join her groups and she's gonna guide you in a much better direction. So that was tip one. What's tip number two? So tip number two is your brand name. That is the most, I mean, that's your brand identity. That's the most important part of your brand and you need to make sure it's protected. Even if you're not ready to file a trademark application, you need to do a comprehensive trademark search with an attorney because searching Google, even searching the trademark database, getting the domain name, it's not enough because trademark infringement occurs when it's not just the same exact name. It can occur when there's anything similar. So, so give an example on that. Yeah, so my brand name is Andrea Sager Law. If there's an Andrea Sager Legal or if it's the Andrea Sager Law Firm or any derivative of that, even if my Andrea Sager is spelled differently or if it's Andrea Seeger, anything similar enough to where it, my clients may think it's me, that is trademark infringement. Gotcha. And what you're trying to avoid with trademark infringement, the number one thing you're trying to avoid is consumer confusion. So if the names are so similar that consumers might be confused, then that's trademark infringement. Perfect. And on that, while you're on the trademark infringement, one of the questions that came in was, if I trademark my brand name and I have that logo, do I use that TM in my logo? We're probably jumping ahead a little bit, listeners, but just why Andrew was on that, I wanted to get it. So I have this beautiful logo. That TM is messing up my logo. How do I go about that? Well, the TM means that it's an unregistered trademark. So that, that when you use the TM, you're giving notice to the world that you claim to have the exclusive right to use it, but it doesn't mean that you do have the exclusive right to use it. Once so you are kind of scare somebody away from maybe trying to do that. Cause like when you brought that up, I didn't even think about that. It's like, I know with my name, thank heaven there hasn't been somebody else, but I do know that there has been uh, a Bobby Brink photos and people brought it to my attention. This is years ago. And, but it was spelled with an E, but if you glance by driving by, people thought it was me and people brought it to my attention. And I was like, I never thought that I never thought, that that was trademark infringement or they were doing anything intently wrong. I mean, that's their name. So the fact that you brought up, especially in the photography world and floral world, when so many of us have those same names in our thing and we have the same initials maybe to avoid it, the fact that everybody should take the time to research this before they even name their business is going to save them a lot of headaches later in case somebody does come after them. Yes. So, and another good point there is legal names. So 
just because you have your legal name doesn't mean that you're legal to conduct business with it. So think about Calvin Klein. Obviously, he's the namesake of the worldwide famous brand. And he's no, like, he's still part of the brand, but he's no longer the CEO. He's not really the brainchild behind it. Now, he can't leave the company completely and go start a new fashion line or anything related to the fashion industry because that would be, or he can't do it with his name, Calvin Klein, because that would be trademark infringement. There's been a lot, there's actually been a lot of fashion brands that have lost the rights to their name because it was trademarked and then they either got ousted by their company or um, they just decided to leave. So that's and, a very good point. So just yeah. because it's your name and you own something doesn't mean you can just pick it up and go start something else. Exactly. Wow. So that's why it's worth looking into that. I had no idea. I, I get the, confu- I always knew about the consumer confusion, but until you just said that TM, so I'm very glad that um, Melanie from Massachusetts wrote that in. I'm very glad because I thought the TM meant that, hey, this person is brand marked and we're going to get up to that because I couldn't believe they could just have a name. So we'll come back to that with another question. So what's your third tip? So my third tip, which a lot of photographers probably know, is copyrights. You cannot, and this is more of a general business tip, you can't use photos that aren't yours or that you don't have a license to. So a lot of business owners don't understand that copyright infringement is just using somebody else's photo. And it's a lot more than that. But for business owners, using somebody else's photos is copyright infringement unless you have a license, which is essentially just permission. So, and on the other side of that, for all the photographers listening, register your photos to get that copyright registration. Because if you have the registration before somebody infringes or within three months of the date that you publish those photos, you're eligible for statutory damages. And statutory damages are very, very helpful in a copyright claim. So even if you don't want to, you're thinking oh, statutory damages, that sounds like a lawsuit. Yes, it does come into play when you have a lawsuit, but it's a very big bargaining chip when somebody's using your photos. And, and it's a bargaining chip to have them not actually where you don't have to actually sue them because they see, oh, they're eligible for statutory damages. I know that this is bad news for me. So basically statutory damages means that it's easier for you to prove damages in your, in your lawsuit. And if you have the actual lawsuit, the other party will probably have to pay your attorney fees. So essentially it's a free lawsuit for you to fight and they have to pay your attorney fees and they have to pay damages. So statutory damages is a very, very big bargaining chip. We monitor photos for clients a lot. And a lot of times they're like, oh, I don't feel like getting my photos registered or they, they're just not in the practice of getting it done. But once we get them in the practice, it's so much easier to get photos removed online that are being infringed upon or actually getting a settlement payment when photos are being infringed upon. So getting those registrations, it's very, very helpful to actually clean up infringers online. So this is a very deep, deep subject, as you mentioned, for photographers in the wedding world. And we got about 17 questions. We can't go into all of them, but I'm going to pick a couple that, um, and I, again, if they're too deep, Andrea, just, we can have you back for another episode. 
one of the questions we got like four people to ask this is I'm a wedding photographer is it not everything I've done my research on is so expensive for me to file every single wedding photo am I better off is there a way to follow as a group is there a way to follow a brand or a section of photos and is it really necessary for wedding photographers to copyright photos of just plain couples or is it more important to have it if you have a major dress designer or some major venue? Is there a difference in how and when wedding photographers should really apply for copyrights? I think you should always apply for your registration. And the thing is, you can file a group registration as long as the photos are not published. So if you, and, and this is why you can file group registrations because the copyright office knows if you're a photographer, Obviously, you can have a thousand photos from one right. wedding or one photo shoot. Well, it doesn't make sense to file each individual photo, but if you get all those photos edited, submit that application the same day, and literally it takes, I mean, once you get in the practice of it, if you're DIYing, it'll take you 20 minutes, if that. And then you can publish all the photos and they're all protected. So you don't get the registration back that day, but once you submit the application, the date of the registration will be the date that you actually applied. Gotcha. And there's a group, there's a group application. Um, you have to meet certain requirements. Like they can't, if it's something's already been published, you have to file that individually. Right. But as long as they're not published photos, file them in one application. You can have all thousand photos from one shoot in one application. And I know, you know, again, the wedding world, we get questions, every single question. I've been doing this for 40 years. Obviously, when I first started, the question was, do I get the negatives? Ha, 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 I'm dating myself. Yeah. Um, versus the last, you know, 15 years. One of the questions that comes back, and every photographer listening and, and those that are just starting their business, they get the question that comes, and, it's, and it, it drives me crazy because it's coming from an uneducated place from the couple. But it's, right. my dad wants to know, do I get my copyright for all these photos? No. And they're not, you know, I mean, I don't even know what the word copyright is. And so then we in the industry have changed that to, you do not get the copyright, but we'll give you print release. You can have a print release form. Right. Those are two separate things and allow for two different things. Correct? Yes. So if you were to give them copyright rights, giving them the copyright, you would actually be assigning all of your rights away. And this is why you don't want to do it is because you can't even, if you assign all your rights away, you can't even use those photos in your portfolio. You can't use them for anything because you don't own those photos anymore. With photography, you are giving a license to the client and the license can be different things that can be negotiated between you and your client typically with weddings, obviously it's for, you know, personal use with brand photographies. That's for commercial use, but you have to make sure that the client understands what type of license you are providing them with. Also, because where I come from the clothing boutique world, I've had a lot of clothing boutique owners say, Oh, you know, my photographer is using my photos. I'm like, yep. no, 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 honey that photographer gave you a license to use those photos. That photographer owns those photos and they can do whatever they want with them. Now there are certainly the occasions where maybe your photographer, your, your client is somebody famous who really wants that privacy. 
And in that situation, you just have them pay a premium, which typically they're willing to do. Right. So that, so we should all kind of be saying that, you know, that, and that's how I always have tried to do that. I always try to educate because I do every once in a while get that dad that doesn't understand it, just wants to make sure his kid's protected, which it's a wedding photo. And part of me is like, trust me, just based on your personality, you'll be calling me back in three months because I'll be divorced anyway. Um, but <laughs> that's, that's yep. another topic too. Um, but it's so, that's what I'm saying. It's, we give you personal use, meaning I'm going to allow you to use these personally because that's basically what they are. I mean, they're your photos of your aunt and your grandma. Please use and share them. But you don't need to own them because you don't even know what you're going to be doing with them. So I, I wish it was a way that I don't even know how that got started, but it, it drives me crazy because it is the number one question, and I get it asked 15 times a day. Can I have the rice of these? They don't even know what they're asking, and, and exactly. I always want to try to educate. And that's why, you know, we have a lot of engaged listeners listening in here. So, you know, the fact that you just said, you know, this is, you don't need these, you're not going to need these, but you know, we want you to use them. So here's, you're going to get a personal right. So be able to print this with their personal release and maybe you expand for the engaged couples, why they need to have that personal release form from us if they go and try to get them printed somewhere. Yeah. Because whenever, especially like CVS, Walgreens, if you want to go to those local places, they're going to ask you for the release or they should at least. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, they should ask for it. And if they do, if, if you don't have the release, they won't print those photos for you. And if they do, this is where we get to come after them big time. Exactly. You can actually sue them for copy, them being CVS, Walgreens, whoever prints the photos, you can sue them for copyright infringement. Right. So that's why listeners, it's, we're trying to protect ourselves, but we're not trying to hold your photos hostage. But we're also trying to protect yourself, too, because let's face it, you know, and, and, and I can attest to this. This is a very sad story, but it has happened to me a few years ago. I had a fa did a wedding and had a family grouping, and I had some clients that were in another country, and that photo, that wedding family photo, showed up on a bus going by in another country. Oh and God. by the time we tracked it all down, it was from a third-party person who printed Mm -hmm. And somehow printed and loaded it and some other company saw it. And because you could not track it down very far, cost a lot of money legally to get this done, but was tracked down coming from a third party store who uploaded it somewhere and it got snapped up on the internet. But I mean, in the world that we live in, you know, you don't want your kids plastered up everywhere. So there's all kinds of protections in place. So engaged couples, you don't need the copyright it's okay to book a photographer that's not going to give you a copyright. Trust me, you don't need that. And you, it's, it's so, it would be so cost prohibitive that it would cost more than your wedding. So just, you know, trust me on that. <laughs> exactly. So, so now we've talked a little bit about photographers. Some of the other questions that came in, and again, this will help everybody outside the industry. There are other things that we need to protect about us. Trademarks protect our brands, our logos, and our slogans, and copyrights protect more of the creative side, the photos and the details. So now as business owners, we're putting content out, no matter what kind of business owner you are. Is there ways that we can protect ourselves? If we write a great blog article or, or we do a great interview, how can we protect ourselves that we get credit for those and somebody doesn't steal that? And I believe that's going to be called intellectual property. Yeah. So basically content is protected with copyrights. So I tell people trademarks are your branding, copyrights are your content. So your photos, your videos, your blog posts, 
your, you know, the content within this podcast right here, all of that is protected with copyrights. Now with blog posts, it's similar to photos to where if they're not published, then, and it, and it gets kind of confusing. I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, right. but essentially if they're not downloadable and they're just on your website, you can submit those in one bulk application as well. So I have clients who come to me after years of blogging and they're like, you know, I have a thousand blog posts and I don't want to like, do I really have to file them individually? And I say, no, we can file everything up until this point. And then, you know, every six months or every once a year, we can file up until what's been filed up until that point as well in one application. That way you're not filing every single blog post, which is a headache, especially if you're blogging daily or weekly, that's a lot of work, but we can file in a, in a bulk application and get everything that's been published or yeah, I'm sorry, published up until that point. Got you. So that, so again, is it as easy as just on the bottom of these blog posts, putting the C, putting the copyright mark and our name, what is the best way to protect ourselves before we go down the legal path? So when you write a blog post or we do anything, should we be always be putting the C in our name or the C, the name of the date? What is your guidelines on that? So it definitely providing the copyright notice is not required, but it's helpful. And you don't have to have a registration to provide the notice because the moment the work is created, you have copyright protection. So a lot of times when we're monitoring copyrighted works for clients, you know, we'll submit the takedown request online and then I'll get an email from the other party and say, oh, can I see your registration? I'm like, well, that's not exactly how this works. My client already has protection because they were the first to create it. So you already have protection once it's created. You just need the registration. Number one, if you ever want to sue. Number two, to be eligible for statutory damages. And for number three, these days, most people won't take you seriously unless you actually have the registration. So you can provide any type of um, the circle C with um, your name or, which, or whoever owns the copyright and the year that it was created. That's any form of that is sufficient copyright notice. Gotcha. So it's kind of like that TM that goes on. I'm using it. I'm giving you warning. I may not have followed all the way through, but <laughs> I, it's right. out here to help my, I'm helping protect myself to the best I can do at the moment. That's basically exactly. what I'm supposed to do. Got you. So when we talk about that, that goes for, that goes for almost anybody. So if you sew a dress or if you put a design, a label for a t-shirt or you take that first snap or you write that blog, anything that you physically do that is yours, you own that copyright. As soon as you do it, it's yours. Nobody can take it from you legally. I mean, they can steal it from you, but it's yours. And you do have a little bit of ground to stand on because of that. So, right. I mean, once you create it, as long as it's original, you own the copyright no matter what. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so we, go ahead. No, no, sorry. No, once you actually create the work, it is protected with a copyright as long as it's obviously as long as it's not a copy from somebody else's copyright. Got you. So that kind of segues over into the world that we're all online. So a lot of us have brands and a lot of us influencers and all kinds of other 
names and titles that we give ourselves. So basically the website, I'm, I'm going to tackle the website if I can, and, and you can expand. How do we protect ourselves on the website? Somebody comes on the website, they literally verbatim copy it and stick it over. Is that where you really come into play if I'm a client of yours? You are helping finding where things are being taken. How do I even know that somebody's copying it? I have to wait till it gets pointed out to me. But then at that point, the legal, what's the legal action I now need to take? Because I, I that it has to be a violation if I just go and copy and paste off somebody's website. How, right. how directly is that? Like those aren't my, I don't own that word. I don't own the word the or the, but how, how far does that extend? And, and how much of that is trademark? I mean, are you trademarking a name? Are you trademarking a sentence, a logo? Maybe you can expand on that a little bit. So we, we better know how to protect ourselves when we come up with these slogans or these are these lines and how to protect our website as well? So great question. If it's a slogan, then that's protected with a trademark. So that the slogan is your branding. So if it's your brand, if it's your brand name, your logo, your slogan, your podcast name, if it's a service within your business, a product line, a product name, all of that is protected with trademarks. Now, all the copy on your website, all of you know, your about page, your FAQ, any, any copy on your website that you created that is protected with a copyright. Um, if you find somebody that has stolen all the copy on your website or some of the copy, there's no hard and fast rule over what is copyright infringement. The copyright office specifically states that short quotes cannot be protected with a copyright gotcha. but they don't say what is considered a short quote versus something that can be protected with a copyright but definitely if they're copying the you know the words on your website then it's most likely copyright infringement and you don't you may not necessarily want to sue them or even you know, maybe, maybe not even send a cease and desist letter. It just varies. But if they're a bigger company, then yeah, you want to say something because they're making money off of your words. So it's just a matter of what, who, who's doing it. What do you want to do about it? Um, you know, a lot of, honestly, a lot of times when people are infringing on my clients and you know, if it's a new client and they're like, Oh, you know, this person stole my design or this person's using my photo or something like that. If it looks like it's, you know, Susie homemaker who started her business yesterday, yeah. then I tell them to reach out first. And then if they ignore it or if the client's just like, no, I just want to spend my money with you. Um, then I'll reach out. But typically clients can save money by actually reaching out to the other party first. Gotcha. So I want to bring us up to this middle section here. It is your legal and professional opinion that every business needs trademark and copyright combined, especially in the creative world. Absolutely. Yes. And that's, I'm going to say, I learned something there. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I knew the copyright side of myself was protected. I knew maybe I needed a little bit of TM, you know, in there, but I had, I never thought about TM because again, it's the lack of education. These are words and they go in a sentence and everybody can use all those words. But I say it all the time. Like I do be fabble. 
people know that's about me. My gosh, people give me gifts with BFABO on there. Never trademarked the BFABO, never thought to even have anything to do with that. So I, I think that's amazing. That is one of the big lessons I think we're going to take away from here. And that happened to be a couple of the questions that came through. I want to get Andrea a little bit to talk about the process. Um, how can, what is the process for somebody to start coming to you? I know when they go to your website, they can a little bit, but in your own words, you know, who's an ideal client for you to start with somebody starting out or going, and then maybe walk us through the process of how you decide if you can even help us and what, and, and the, and the way to go and the path to go down with your services. Yeah. So basically anybody who is a small business owner an entrepreneur, that is my ideal client. I love working with small business owners and typically how it works for me is normally people will reach out through email or social media and they'll say, Hey, can I get some more trademark information? Well, and normally it's trademarks. Sometimes they'll ask about copyrights and I send them an email, give them the information that lays out the actual trademark process or the copyright process. And then sometimes we'll get on a call and then we'll move forward with services. Now, specifically for trademarks, what's surprising to a lot of people is how long it takes. And I think this is because the LLC process normally takes maybe a week. Now, and the LLC process, it's like you file and it's like, oh, great, you have LLC protection. Well, with trademarks, that's not the case. Trademarks take at a minimum six to seven months. And the average is about nine to 10 months, depending on how many issues you have. And the process takes so long because of the protection that you get. I mean, you get really good protection once you have an actual federal registration. So this is why the average person like me probably gives up halfway through. Yeah, exactly. Cause they're like, okay, it's taking so long. I don't know if I messed something and up. I need, or and I need to get my LLC so I can get that first dollar. So nobody bothers me. So I, if I hear you correctly, well, I get my LLC fast. That's great. But if I'm going to trademark my name, won't well, I need to trademark first to get the LLC? No, okay. you don't have to do either. You don't have to get an LLC before you file for the trademark and you don't have to get a trademark before you file for an LLC. There's no, yeah, there's no correspondence there. Um, once we file, so the first step with the trademark process is the trademark search and that's the comprehensive search I was mentioning. And basically we are looking for anything that is going to be a basis of refusal for your application. And then we give you those results. It's a low, moderate, or high risk. If we determine, okay, we're good to go, um, we have a safe level of risk to file the application, then we go ahead and file. And then once you file, you don't hear back from the trademark office for at least three months. Normally, it, sometimes it's less than three months, but typically it's three, three and a half months. And they're doing their examination process looking to see if there's a basis that they can refuse the mark because they don't want to register anything that is likely to cause confusion with other consumers. So that's what they're looking for. And if after the three to three and a half months, if there are no refusals, then you move forward in the process. If you have refusals, then you have six months to respond. And typically 
most refusals are included with our application fee, but if there is a likelihood of confusion refusal, then we do charge an extra fee because we have to provide a very thorough legal response. Right, so that's and, why it's totally better to hand this off because you're gonna probably A, save time and a long run save frustration, but also save money because you actually know what to look for far more than any of us do, hence, we wouldn't be trying to figure out what we're doing and we would have known to do this before. Right, right. Yeah, and then, so if you respond to the refusal and you overcome it, then basically what happens is the publication period. And this is confusing for some people, but essentially the trademark office publishes your application and the world, and it's published to the world, so the world has notice and basically if anybody believes that their trademark, whether it's registered or unregistered, if they believe their trademark will be harmed by the registration of your application, they can file what's called an opposition. And these are, these are pretty rare. They don't happen very often, but they do happen. And when you file an opposition, it's basically a, a mini lawsuit is a proceeding within the trademark office. A lot of them settle. Um, they don't really, most don't get fought all the way, but then, um, and, and a lot of times people don't even get an opposition filed against them. Um, and if they don't, so you're published for 30 days. And then after that 30 day period, you are almost to the finish line you once the publication period is over with you'll get the registration within normally 11 to 12 weeks after the end of the publication period as long as nobody filed an opposition wow so this does happen on suzy q's cupcakes this this is something that can happen to suzy q cupcakes just like it can happen to a Domino's and I'll probably get in trouble for saying Domino's anyway but you know but I mean when I listen to you say that it is so freaking scary. I have to wonder if Susie Cupcakes even thinks that somebody's going to come after her because she's using the word Susie with a Q and a cupcake. But in hearing you, it's most of the time somebody would drive by and say, hey, that logo looks like somebody else's. Stop it. To the broadness of an ex-employee wants to go over and start a business. That was actually one of the questions. How do you stop an employee from using part of your name or part of what you do? Um, so. Is that another thing that this process you go through will help protect these people to make sure that they're clear that nobody else is trying to use it? And Absolutely. does it happen that people are trying to do the trademark on something the same at the same time and you find that out? Um, sorry, can you repeat that question? I know. I realized when I said that. So what I'm thinking is like, you know, if I want to call myself Suzy Q Cupcakes, during the trademark process, would it show up that there's 17 other people also trying to do Suzy Q Cupcakes? If they have an application in, then yes. Gotcha. If so they, they don't, it's just happenstance. Right. Wow. Gotcha. So, I mean, I, I guess I never, I mean, I'm going to, again, I just, I, I'm a very honest and open, candid conversation. I never realized how important a trademark until you, until you bring into the terms that I can understand was for a small business. I mean, I get the copyright intellectual property, but I never realized that trademarking something or a slogan you know, it would be benefit to my business moving forward. And and one of the questions that came off of that was after 17 years, if I want to sell my business, does the trademark go with the current owner or do I own it? 
Oh, you can absolutely sell it. And that, this is one of the big selling points because if you're a business owner, you need to be looking towards your exit because if you're not wanting to sell your business, then you just have a job. Right. So, and the thing is with trademarks, that is an actual, that has an actual tangible value on, on your assets when you go to sell your business. So if people are looking at, okay, what assets does the business have? They're looking to see if you have a registered trademark, how many you have, because just because you get your brand name trademarked, that's not an end game with trademarks. You want to keep building on your trademarks because you want to build a wall. Basically, each trademark is a layer of bricks and you want to build a wall so high that nobody else, nobody else in the world can get into your business and infringe upon it and damage it. So that's why you want to keep filing trademarks. Anything that identifies your business that is something that can be protected. I always use McDonald's as an example. So McDonald's, McNuggets, McChicken, McMcMc. So anything that is unique to your business as far as naming goes, it can be protected with a trademark. See, and that's when you bring it down like that. I was was just going to say there, anything you do that with the Pizza Hut and the logos and things like that. So that's why... Hey, this is why pizzas and things cost so much because look at all the legal stuff that goes into that. So, and branding those hotels and everything like that. So, I mean, so see, that makes sense for something big like that. I just never really thought that we as small, can think about that, but if we're a small floral company and we have trademarked certain little floral logans and sayings and another floral company wants to come along, I can now sell that portion to them or it adds value to the portion because they're not really able to use these taglines and phrases and that's what the interest is in the business to begin with. So I think that's brilliant. When you dumb it down like that, but in the most respectful word of dumb it down. Yeah. That, that <laughs> no, makes- no, no. It's, I mean, it used to not be that big of a deal for small businesses, but because everybody is so mobile, everybody's conducting business online. That's why trademarks are becoming so important for small businesses. Gotcha. And that brings us to one of the other questions that came from somebody in Michigan. It's like, how do we protect ourselves in this internet world? Um, trademark, copyrights, is there something else that we can be doing so that people don't just take a screenshot, crop everything out, and then use either the verbiage or the photo? I know we touched on that a little bit, but that's, again, where copyright and trademarks would come in. So how does a company like you, how are you able to track if one of those photos is being used or protected? If I see this happening to me, I give you a call and say, I'm seeing my photos all over these posters. Now can you step in and help with that, even though I might not have went through the process of protecting myself? Yeah, we can always get work removed online. So even if you don't have a registration, so even when clients don't have registrations, if they're stealing designs, if they're stealing photos, we still can get it removed from the internet. Gotcha. But it's just harder to get a settlement payment because when we're working on a monthly basis with our clients and they want to try to recoup some of that money, so we do our best to get a settlement payment for them. Exactly. If they don't have the registration, it's a lot harder to get a settlement payment. Gotcha. And I noticed one of the things I want to talk about to you brought up, and we did have three questions about it, is you talked a little bit about some of the new privacy acts. And that's important that we have Privacy Act, it's mandatory now by law that somewhere along the line, if we're collecting on our contact forms, and most of us have, you know, lead capture programs, it is legal now that we need to have that copyright message. Maybe you can touch a little bit on that. We have like four or five questions that just said, 
can Andrea please touch on the Privacy Act issue? It's pretty broad, but. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you're talking about the new California Consumer Privacy Act. Uh, it doesn't really have anything to do with copyrights. But with the Privacy Act, basically, if you meet certain requirements, as in you are a for-profit business, you are making $25 million a year, or if you're collecting the information of 50,000 consumers, or if half of your revenue comes from selling the information that you collect, then you're bound by the California Consumer Privacy Act. It doesn't matter if your clients are, or if you have clients in California, then it applies to you. It doesn't matter if you're in California or not. You can be anywhere in the world. And as long as you meet those requirements, the act applies to you. And there's a lot of, I'm not going to go into the details about what the act, what you have to do if you're bound by it, because there's a lot that goes into it. But if you, if that law applies to you, then you need to, get in compliance with it because they're having, they're handing out hefty fees and it, it will most likely become a pretty mainstream law through different, throughout different States. Right. So for, if for some reason you don't have clients in California, most States will start to enact something like this. And that's why we have that. I know, you know, beginning of the year or whatever, we had to be sticking in our, Hey, we don't share your information. You know, like, you know, we, we just have in the bottom of our contact form, and, and I think, like I said, a lot of us in the creative world, we have a lead generation. So if somebody comes to the website, fills something out, we contact. We just had to put on there, we don't share your information. So that that is something that's different than the Privacy Act, of the California Privacy Act. But we still all have to have something on our websites or should have something that states, I'm collecting your information, I'm not sharing it. Correct. And I mean, a lot of people were freaking out about the GDPR, but most of those laws had already applied to the U.S. Right. Um, that was a couple of years ago. But yeah, people you, freaked out everywhere, man. Oh my gosh. Right. Like, oh my God, I got to be compliant. I'm like, aren't you already compliant? You already say that somewhere on your thing? It's like, yeah. yeah. And the thing is about the GDPR and what the big thing was is, oh, you can't email, like, you can't reach out to people if they don't opt into your email or like if you can't send them you can't add them to your email list if they don't opt in, but that was our, that's already a law. It's part of the can spam act. So it's a lot of those, a lot of the GDPR laws are already U S laws. Gotcha. Talk a little bit, tell our listeners a little bit about your G glossary. Oh, the glossary. I I just love that. And I mean, again, guys, her Instagram is so informative. I mean, I learn something all the time just by popping up and I don't, I'm not the cool trendy one that interacts and comments all the time to her, but I'm always reading what she does. So tell us about the glossary. Tell everybody what that is. Yeah. So the glossary, essentially, I call it a practical guide to the legal side of your business because you can basically go online and read about what an LLC is or what a corporation is, but you don't actually know how it applies to your business, what it means for your business, the tax implications, and is also different contracts within your business. There's different provisions that you may have no idea what they mean. We go into a lot of contract provisions. There's a lot of really good information. We also talk deeply about intellectual property, trademarks and copyrights and patents, basically telling you a lot of what we talked about here, um, what a trademark is, what is infringement, how does it apply to your business, 
what, you know, when should you be concerned with them? So it's not necessarily just, oh, this is what a trademark is. Oh, this is what a copyright is. No, we go into detail talking about how it applies to your business and really what it means for you. Gotcha. So, I mean, again, I think everybody should sign up and give for that. What do you think, aside from cost, um, is one of the reasons most businesses hesitate to reach out, especially with somebody like you now that is making it so easy where I don't have to travel to an office and spend all day. And I do feel that I'm getting my money's worth, but what do you think maybe when you're back in the big law firm, what do you think is one of the reasons or a couple of reasons that entrepreneurs just don't seek legal help? Um, most of the time they don't know that they need it. And that's what I see. They're just like, Oh, I didn't know that I needed to ask somebody about this or to find out the implications about this. And if they do know that they need it, they don't, they don't know where to find somebody that they can trust. Got you. And so that's, again, guys, this is when you go and you just check out her website in her, it just makes it so easy for you to go on and ask questions. And, and I think you've heard her in her own voice today, speak honest and truthful. And she brings it down to a place that you can understand it because you know, it's like real bold letters on our website, you know, dream it, grow it, protect it. And I, I think that's what we want to do. I mean, but this is our living in our careers and we're all providing a service and her information and her bringing it down to simple terms from entrepreneurs just makes it so easy for all of us um, to be able to achieve and reach out and I think obtain this information. So I can't thank you enough for sharing everything. Um, I'm sure we have some more questions that are coming in as we, as we talk a little bit about this, but if you don't mind, I've got about seven questions and maybe we can just do a little bit of answers that way the listeners kind of get what they're looking for a little bit and, and asking. And if it's something you can't answer, Andrea, just say, Hey, that's too involved. <laughs> Cause sounds good. Some might, might be, it's, um, does Andrea have any tips on the better, more legal ways, or is it best to legalize having employees as payroll versus 1099s? Is there a legal aspect that is better over one or the other? Um, well, not necessarily better one over the other, but if they qualify as an employee, you need to have them as an employee. Um, it's, it, I know there's a lot more stricter laws in California now. Um, it, a lot of the determination goes into control. If you think they're a contractor, but you're controlling when they work, where they work, how they work, then they probably need to be an employee. Gotcha. The other question kind of comes along like that is as a small business owner, does Andrew have any tips how to protect myself with my employees getting hurt on jobs? Liability insurance is a must. Is there anything else I can do to protect myself from an employee damaging my business? Damaging physically or? Um, the follow-up question that somebody else had was, you know, is there, you know, legally, how do I help, how do I protect myself from an employee stealing? So I don't know if those two go together or is there ways I can legally protect myself when I have employees? Um, I mean, you definitely want to have all the right insurance in place. You know, maybe you need workman's comp. Um, make sure your CGL, your commercial general liability is enough. Right. Um, protecting employees from stealing. Um, that's, I mean, that's a tough one, but. <laughs> very broad one. I know that's why yeah. I, said, I read them quickly. Cause I kind of like, I'd rather 
no, I, I don't always want to be like, get so in depth that I figured out. And sometimes people don't always write exactly what they want. They write the DM and it runs out of text and they don't finish it. So they don't come back. So, you know, I've been, I think that is always a seek legal counsel and stuff like that. Um, re, uh, retaining a lawyer is a business like Andrea's able to be put on retainer and she would always be our go-to or is it better to have a, somebody on retainer in your own neck of the woods? <laughs> so it honestly just depends what your business is. Like if you are a local, I don't know, electrician, you probably want to have somebody local. Um, but if you're an online business, then having somebody like me who's virtual and has the low cost, that's definitely very beneficial to online businesses. Here's a good one that falls into that. I'm a virtual assistant. Is any is all my stuff that I create in my classes and my courses or intellectual property? Um, seeking out copyright or trademark. Do I need both? I think we heard this. And maybe you can ask Andrea, is people like myself in the virtual world, do we need lawyer protection? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, <laughs> She's gonna say yeah. no on that, people. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> no, so with courses absolutely you need to be protecting those that's another big one that needs to, the name needs to be protected with the trademark and the content needs to be protected with a copyright typically we actually file three applications when you have a course and that's for the text involved the videos involved and the photos involved if you have any so normally a course is about three copyright separate copyright applications Gotcha. So that goes into the next question. I'm an online course creator. How do I protect myself? I price my courses reasonable, but the attorney fees would eat me up. Is there something in between? Perhaps Andrea is exactly what I'm looking for as I build my online course education. I'm a wedding educator running a planning company. I want to do courses to help others learn and have emails and paperwork and such in place. How do I protect general email forms, general forms that I have, and is it something I should be worried about as an online course instructor? Yeah, so we actually, so part of our legalpreneur, we provide document review, and that sounds like it would be perfect yep. for what she's asking for, just reviewing documents, um, anything within your business. We provide, basically, most attorneys charge hourly for everything. We provide unlimited emails. You get 60 minutes of phone calls every month, 30 pages of document review. And then you also get access to the contract vault, which is 30 to 40 contracts right now. And we add to it monthly. So it's all template contracts that you can just download and use as you need. And we, there's also ongoing benefits that you get the longer you're a member. But um, yeah, absolutely. Even if you're in the online space, you absolutely still need that legal protection because like I said, you never know what's going to happen. And even more so your stuff is at risk of being stolen. You you may be at risk of, you know, even stealing something of somebody else's that you don't even know that you may have stolen. Gotcha. Here's a good one for you. The dreaded I've been sued because I made a mistake. What, how, what do I panic, freak out, all the above? But I made a mistake. Now, this person did not tell me what they did or who they are. It just says, I've made a mistake in servicing my client. Now I'm being sued. What did I, what should I have done to protect myself prior to this? 
Um, so hopefully they have business insurance. Uh-huh. The thing is, if you have business insurance, CGL, you know, then which is errors and omissions, typically your insurance will pay for your defense. They will pay to defend the lawsuit on your behalf. So that, that's I mean, happened. You, you, you've seen, have you seen this happen? Like, you know, just honest to God, a, a total mistake, just an accident. Yeah. Not, I not mean, that's why you have errors and omissions. I mean, nobody's perfect. Exactly. I mean, we all make mistakes and insurance is there to protect you. Um, they pay for you. And then even if you're not sued and you receive a cease and desist letter, insurance companies will take care of that letter for you because obviously they don't want to pay even more when you do get sued. So they'll just take care of it before you get sued. So here's, here's one, of the, one of the last ones. It's contracts. I'm a wedding photographer. How am I protecting myself with the contracts? I can put in place all these clauses and I can put in place when, when I get paid. How much recourse do I really have if I want to go after somebody if for lack of payment? I'm talking under $5,000. Um, I mean, that's a big range. So, I mean, small claims court typically is the filing fee ranges from like two to $600, depending where you are. So if it's, I mean, if you're damaged less than that, then it's not really worth it. But if you have a written contract, the other party has to pay your attorney fees. So typically, sorry, not always. Most states allow that if you have a written contract, then they have to pay your attorney fees. So don't think, oh, it's not worth it to go to small claims court. It, I, I mean, I don't know how much money. I mean, $5,000 is a really big chunk to some people. Exactly. And yeah, and if even $1,000, if it costs you, I don't know, $400 of a filing fee, you don't have to have an attorney and you have the written contract. Well, yeah, you paid $400, but they have to, they also have to pay you what was owed in the contract and that filing fee. Right. And, I, and we get a lot of these questions, Andrea. I mean, it's, it's like I could spend a whole other hour with you talking, but contracts are really big in the wedding industry and, and I can give you pros and cons of them. And, and perhaps you can maybe end our conversation today a little bit. Everybody needs to have a contract. And is that something that you can help provide? Like, do you help wedding, I mean, especially with us, wedding creatives, a contract is a contract is a contract, but is there creative contracts? And how deep do those need to go? Like you said, probably have three pages of just copyright things. But I think a lot of small business owners in the creative field are, we have this contract and I'm just going to use the $5,000. My services are $5,000. You know, we signed the agreement. We have the non-retainer law. And I know that retainer law, the term retainer in different states. But we get a retainer, good faith that we're going to show up on the day they're good faith they're going to show up. And then, you know, a month before the wedding, they've canceled. And yet we're still owed money. I mean, as small business people, we have the right to go after that person for that money because it was a lack of income for us that we needed. But on a creative world and in a creative world and in your version as a lawyer, how important is it to have that contract and to really have it all laid out in that contract? Um, you need it. If you're specific as possible, then it makes pursuing somebody even easier. Perfect. So sometimes a lot of contract disputes come up because it wasn't very clear in your contract. And when that happens, then, you know, they think, Oh, they can't sue me anyway. I'm, you know, just not going to pay. They can sue me if they want. Well, if they, if you decide to sue, 
and it's not clear in the contract, it's going to be a lot harder for you to prove. But if it's as specific as possible and you decide to sue them, well, guess what? You're going to get your money and you're going to get your attorney fees. Right. And it does help, sadly, in this world we live in, it helps your reputation. I mean, nobody likes to be sued, but with, with online reviews and, and everything that happens now, lots of times, and I, and I see it happen, a lot of times, you know, individual wedding and the people get a bad rap because somebody says, hey, they didn't do this, this, and this. Well, if the person was able to respond, well, well you didn't follow through your contract, it would be a whole different conversation. But I think that goes with restaurants and anything else. The fact that we have everything so online and people can write and say anything about us. And that was one of the questions that came up at the end, kind of along the contract line is, if somebody really goes out there and writes a bad review about me, do I have any legal recourse to fight it? Yeah, I mean, it, it honestly just depends. I mean, we, you, pro I mean, I'm sure many people listening here heard about uh, the photographer in Dallas <laughs> who I, I can't remember her name right now. Um, but obviously the blogger that wrote many, many bad things about her right. and cost her her business. I mean, just a couple of years ago, I think that got finalized and she got, was it, I know it was at least a million. Oh, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and it's just right, happening right now with, in, in, 28 venues in seven states they just showed up on a saturday morning and the doors are locked and these people are going to have their wedding and the venue just went bankrupt and is not around so right now the wedding industry always gets a bad rap and always seems like photographers are doing something wrong but it's how to protect myself from something like that and i know like i said that we had a ton of questions that were about that and i kind of encouraged everybody you know i think you are have shown today that you're a wealth of information and, and I know I'm a big fan of yours. And I think if anybody would just reach out to you and say, Hey, this is where I am. This is what I need help with. I believe that you're somebody that can say, Hey, you know, let me walk through this contract. Let me help you do this. This is my piece to do it. And I think they're going to be a lot further along. They would reach out to somebody like you instead of just trying to wing it on their own uh, and for them not to feel lost. I mean, you know, hopefully listeners, you've heard that this is her heart and her passion and if she can't help you, she's going to find somebody that can, and she's not going to, and you're going to be in a much better position, confident-wise, to run your business, knowing that you're also protected or that you've done everything to protect yourself. And right. what do you think that that is a key point is if you have that peace of mind, I think you're such a much better creative, especially knowing that you're protecting yourself and your family. Yeah, and the thing is, I think a lot of people get scared because they're like, oh, I don't want to keep paying for an attorney, keep paying for an attorney. Well, guess what? If you spend a little bit of money up front to get those contracts rock solid. Right. Well, guess what? You're going to be saving a lot of money down the road because if you think it costs a lot of money getting a contract drafted, just wait until you don't have that contract professionally drafted and see how much money it costs. Exactly. You. And I tell people all the time, we, we joke all the time that our pages and contracts get longer and longer because it's the Susie clause or the Meredith clause, or we never thought that would ever happen. But last Saturday, guess what happened? Now you got to add that to your contract, you know, things like that. And, and while that can be a little bit costly, if I have to pick you up and say, Hey, this is what just happened. You're going to find out a way to make that cover, to make that broader. And I'm done. And in one session with you, you might be able to cover nine different issues I just had by using the right wording and then I'm protected. And, and I, I think that's a perfect way to end because you're right. If we do all this, especially in the creative world. I mean, we're in a very emotional industry and, you know, we're easy to get blamed when things don't go right or their vision wasn't what their vision was when they showed up and they spent all this money. And we ask our couples to invest in us. We have to invest back in our business. And I think having a lawyer and just the fact that you have this virtual, 
I mean, anybody can come. And I think the listeners today are really going to get a lot of information and benefit out of knowing that you're here. And I hope that everybody does go and follow you and, um, and you pick up some business um, and share your information. I mean, just to have somebody as passionate about business as you are, that is really willing to help goes a long way for creatives, especially because a lot of us, you know, wear our hearts on the sleeve and we, we do it for the passion of doing it, not always the smart business side of it. And let's face it, this is not the fun side of what we do, but we right. have <laughs> to have this. So anything else you want to add? Anything else you want to talk about? Like I said, everybody, we're linking everything back. She's got some wonderful things that you can sign up for and some freebies, but also sign up on, on these programs that she's offering. I think you're going to really get a lot of information out of it. So anything you want to add, Andrea, to the listeners? No, just make sure to follow on Instagram at Andrea Sager Law. Yep, I got it. We're going to link you back to it. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I, I promise we're going to have you back because we can do a whole session just on copyright and, 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 and a trademark. And I think, <laughs> I think as this podcast continues to grow, um, I'm going to come back to you and, and offer some things. And again, thank you so much for your time. Listeners, go out there, protect yourself, follow her guidelines. You've dreamed it, grow it, protect it. That's what she's here for. Go visit let her help you continue to go out there and do what you do on the weekends. It's a privilege for us to witness all of you engaged couples and capturing being part of your wedding day. So let's go out and try to do it to the best of our ability, protecting ourselves and our business. So thank you again, Andrew, and everybody have a perfectly fabulous weekend. Thank you. For more information about today's episode, check the show notes at befabopodcast.com. Hey, while you're there, don't forget to subscribe and sign up for Monday Motivations, delivered hot to your inbox. And there'll be more. Can we say more? Till next time, be fast.